Take your Bibles and turn to the book of John. John chapter 14. This morning I'm going to share with you a personal journey. The way the Lord has led me to what we're going to do for the next three weeks and then finishing actually on the fourth week we're going to kind of talk about the, the implications of what we're going to talk about for the next three weeks. The fourth week we'll talk about how that's going to work out the life of our church in a very tangible way. But I can tell you that over the last year, really, the Lord has kind of been growing within me a holy dissatisfaction. And I, I really couldn't put my finger on it for a while, and uh, there were times when I would think I was going in the direction that would satisfy that dissatisfaction, and it would find out that I was not. And it was just, it's been a process, and I'm not anywhere near the completion of that journey. But I just want to share with you what the Lord's done over the last two or three months as that dissatisfaction has been growing. And hopefully in sharing that, the Lord will help us to together turn towards a direction that He would have us to go. When it really started to, to kind of develop within me, ironically, was shortly after we returned from Brazil. And usually when you return for something like Brazil, it's a, uh, it's, you're on a mountaintop experience. And those of you that went to Brazil, and those of you that heard the stories about us that went to Brazil, it was a mountaintop experience, not completely unlike a, a camp or a, a week liftoff weekend or a great conference. Uh, some of you ladies have been to Beth Moore. Some of you men have been to men's conferences. It's not completely unlike that, although it's a little heightened because of the bonds that you build and the things that happen while you're out of the country. And inevitably for me, following a great mountaintop experience is a time of, of not such a mountaintop experience. Anybody ever been there? I mean, where you move from this highest of highs and you gradually descend. And it's not like I went into a, a, a depression or a funk or anything like that. I just leveled off some. In the midst of that, I just began to ask some real serious and difficult questions of myself and just began to search that out. One of the things that happens in my life is when I'm in one of those dips is when the difficult questions come. And as I was dealing with all of that, I just began to have story after story in Scripture coming up of people who were moving forward with or without the presence of God going with them. You think of Moses in the Old Testament that says, God, if you're not going with us, I don't want to go. You think of the story of Joshua when he goes to the battle of Ai, and instead of consulting the Spirit, they just go, and they're not found out if that's what's supposed to happen. We talked about this a few months ago, that there's sin in the camp. But what they discover is they go basically without God's protection or God's provision, and they fail. And I came to a point where I finally just said, Lord, I need to know what it means to have and understand and follow the will of God in my life right now. And it was one particular Sunday. And it was a Sunday when it had turned cool for one of the first times. There was a fog in the air. It was actually the Sunday that we voted on moving to two services. It was that Sunday. And we had, as a staff, had prayed about it, and we knew this was where God was leading, and I was confident of that. But I got in the car, gotten ready to drive this direction, and as I usually do on Sunday morning, I left very early, and the fog was just starting to lift. 
And I remember just praying, God, I need to know for sure this is your presence, your will for our church at this time. I've shared a little bit of this story with some of you. As I got out on Loretta and started to go, I could see the fog, you know, almost could see the fog lifting. You, you never driving at that time. And so it's kind of an eerie time of the morning, and I love being out at that time, especially on Sundays, coming here to get prepared. But as the fog was lifting, I was on Loretta, and right when I got to the Nazarene church on Loretta, there was a huge, I guess you call them flock, of geese sitting in the middle of the road. I mean, there was enough. There were enough geese that I had to stop the vehicle and wait. Now, you say, so what? Big deal. There's some geese in the road, you know. They're over there by the Nazarene Church quite often. If you want to see a bunch of geese, you go over there in Hendersonville, and there's a park there. You can see a bunch of geese. Well, here's the thing. That week I'd started reading a book, and if you know me, I, I don't usually start to read a book and get only a paragraph in and then stop. When I sit down to read, I read. I read, uh, you know, and I just read quickly. And when I'm in one of those phases when I'm loving to read and wanting to read, I can read very quickly, read two or three books in, a, in two or three days. I mean, I can read. And so for me to sit down with the book and read a, a, a paragraph, and that's it, is strange. And this was the paragraph I'd read that week from the book. The Celtic Christians had a name for the Holy Spirit that has always intrigued me. They called him Anged Glas, or the wild goose. As I drove up that day on that flock of geese sitting in the road, I thought it's not coincidence that God made me stop at that paragraph. He goes on to say, I love the imagery and implications. The name hints at the mysterious nature of the Holy Spirit. Much like a wild goose, the spirit cannot be tracked or tamed. An element of danger and unpredictability surround him. And while the name may sound a little sacrilegious at first, I cannot think of a better description of what it's like to pursue the spirit's leading through life than a wild goose chase. I think these Christians were onto something that institutionalized Christianity has missed out on. And I wonder if we've clipped the wings of the wild goose and settled for something less something much less than God intended. So as I was driving down the road that day, that paragraph kind of came back to me. I got to the church, I opened it up, and I read that, and God began to spark in me these questions. And even that day, as God assured me that His presence was in the decision that we were making, assured me this is the direction that we needed to go as a church, even in that moment, I began to wonder, okay, so, but what about more? And I began to think about that phrase that talked about unpredictability and um, excitement and adventure. And I thought to myself, how predictable is my life? How safe is my life? How tame is my life? When was the last time I had unpredictability in my life, in my faith, or in my church? A couple of weeks later after that, I finished Acts on Wednesday night and those of you that have been here on Wednesday night know that I was in Acts for two years, literally. From the moment I got here until about a month ago, I was in the book of Acts on Wednesday night. And as I was finishing up Acts, I thought I would sit down and summarize what the book of Acts was all about. As I sat down, I wrote down these words. I just thought, I'm going to write down just five words to describe what the book of Acts was like. And these were the five words I wrote down. Power, impact, danger, unpredictable, and adventurous. 
And then I ask myself the question, would any of those words, power, impact, danger, unpredictable, or adventurous, describe my faith, my life, or our church? And I began to think, what's different? I don't know about you, but when I read the book of Acts, they act a little different than we do. They have a little more impact than we do. And I began to ask the question, what is different? And as I look back over the book of Acts, what I saw is that over and over and over again in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is the actor that is happening through the apostles and through the followers of Jesus. There have been some scholars that have labeled the Holy Spirit as the shy member of the Trinity. That there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity. Those are coming from scholars who haven't looked recently at the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is anything but shy. And I thought about this question. When was the last time I experienced the Spirit of the living God acting in a powerful way through my faith, in my life, or in our church? During that time, I was reading a completely different book by a guy named A.W. Tozer. And this quote came up, and I read it, and it just hit me. He says, we may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. By the way, he was writing in the 1940s and 50s, okay? We have measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek higher plateaus in the things of the Spirit is all but gone. We have imitated the world sought popular favor, manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord, and produced a cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Ghost. And I thought to myself, how many times have I imitated the world, sought popular favor, manufactured delights, and produced a cheap and synthetic power in my faith, in my life, and in our church? About that time in my mailbox here at work, a book showed up. It's the title of the series that we're going to do for the next three weeks. It's called Forgotten God. We're not going to, I'm not going to preach out of the book, but I just love the title because it's Forgotten God recapturing our neglect of the Holy Spirit. And as I began to read that book, I just began to think that none of us in this room would deny the existence of the Holy Spirit, I don't think. Now, unless some of it would surprise me. I don't think we would deny the existence of the Holy Spirit. I don't think we would deny that the Holy Spirit is this is a third part of the Trinity, and third's not in importance. Third is just in the way that it's been manifest. I don't think any of us would deny the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't think any of us would deny that the Holy Spirit resides within us once we've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. But even though none of us in this room would deny it, I think that many of us in this room would say that we have not experienced the Holy Spirit in a profound way in the last little bit. And as I was reading along in this book, Forgotten God, I, just, I usually don't read out of a book to you. I just want to read you this that really kind of just shook me. It says, Most of us, given our talent, experience, and education, we're able to make a fairly capable living successful without any strength from the Holy Spirit, according to the world standards. Even our churches can grow like that. If you combine a charismatic speaker, a talented worship band, some hip creative events, people will come. Yet that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is actively working and moving in the lives of people who are coming. 
It simply means that you've created a space that is appealing enough to draw people for an hour or two on a Sunday. And it certainly does not mean that people walk out of the doors, move to worship and in awe of God. People are more likely to describe the quality of the music or the appeal of the sermon than the very one who is the reason people gather for the service. And I just got to a point and said, God, I don't want to be normal. I don't want to be predictable. I don't want to have things happen because they're supposed to happen. I don't want to depend on myself for everything in my life. I don't want to be self-sufficient. I want to experience the Spirit of God doing something undeniably great in the midst of my life, my faith, and our church. So for the next three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Holy Spirit and its role. I know that sometimes when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, there are all kinds of questionable issues you can get into. And I know especially in a Baptist church that sometimes in a Baptist church, people are scared to death when you start talking about the Holy Spirit. We have become so scared of what we think the Holy Spirit might do that we don't allow Him to do anything. And so I'm not going to address those issues. Sorry. Now, we will at some time, but over the next three weeks... I don't want to address that because what happens is when you start talking about the Holy Spirit and how it interacts, immediately you start going to those controversial issues and run into the edges and argue your side this way or that, and you miss the important thing that regardless of where you stand on that, the important thing is that the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, empowering you to do what God's called you to do, bringing unity to His body, strengthening us to accomplish what He has called us to accomplish. John chapter 14. Somebody tell me, when when is this in the life of Jesus? Where are they? I'm tired of talking for a minute. Y'all help me. Just for a minute. I'll be back. Don't worry. Where are they? Where John 14. What's happening here? Good. Somebody else. The Passion Week. This is uh, the week that, that Jesus is going to be crucified. When in Passion Week are they here? Yeah, it's the, pa- it's the washing of the disciples' feet. It's Passover meal. It's the Last Supper. It's that night. So they're gathered together in the upper room. And in chapter 13 is that part where he does wash the disciples' feet. And after he kind of finished washing the disciples' feet, he says, oh, by the way, I'm going to be killed. Just a little knowledge for you. And they say, no, you're not. And he says, yeah, I'm going to die. And Peter says, you are not going to die, Jesus, because if they come after you, they're going to have to get through me. I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to be beside you. I'm going to defend you. I'm going to guard you. Nobody's going to take you without going through me first. Are you with me, fellas? And Jesus says, you're not going to stand up for me, Peter. Before the daybreak, you're going to deny me three times. And so you're at this moment when the disciples are trying to figure out what in the world are they talking about that that Jesus is dying. I mean, he says he's going to be killed. He's leaving. And he gets to chapter 14, and they think, well, maybe that's not exactly what he meant because he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. The literal translation there is stop letting your hearts be troubled or quit worrying. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He says, listen, it's going to be okay. Just trust me. Verse 2, he says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Now, in that day and time, they would have known exactly what he was talking about because whenever a husband and a bride-to-be were engaged, the husband would leave for a while, prepare the house, come back, get married, and take the bride to the house. Okay? 
It was a time that he would spend apart from the bride. It was a time of cleansing and ritual and um, time to let him spend some time apart. And then he would come back, have the wedding feast, and then he would take the bride to their house. And so Jesus gives this very vivid picture of, listen, I'm kind of like the husband. I'm going to prepare the house, but I'm going to come back to get you. That's what he says, right? If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. And then he says, hey, by the way, you know where I'm going. And Thomas says, no, we don't. Right? Jesus says, you know where I'm going. Thomas says, we don't have a clue where you're going. How in the world do we know the way? And Jesus says, you know the verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you see here that Jesus is talking on a completely different level than they are? Thomas thinks in his mind, he's going to build a house for us? Well, where is that? Jesus, could you get us a map to show us where to go? And Jesus is saying, I'm going to heaven to prepare. See, they don't get that. So Jesus starts answering all this, all right? Jump down to verse 15. He tells them then that this is about to happen. He's about to die. And he tells them that it's better for them if it does. And listen to what he says. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another What's the word there? Counselor. To be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Here's what he says there. It's kind of interesting because he could have said one of two things when it says the word another. He could have meant another as in something different. You know, you want another kind of drink. Something different. Or he could have said, I want another of the same thing. There are two different kind of words there. And what he says here is, I'm going to send another that's just like me. And he calls him a counselor. Now, when I say the word counselor, most of us think of somebody that we go and we share our thoughts and feelings and attitudes with, and they tell us how to get better, right? That Just look at me, okay? Right? That's not what this word means. There's another sense in which counselor is used in our culture. In a court of law, when they stand up, they say, who will be the counsel for the defense, right? Counselor can also be an attorney. And what this means is the Holy Spirit stands up for us, fights for us, is our advocate, is the one that petitions our case. In fact, we'll see in a minute, Jesus says that he's going to go to the Father and he'll still hear our prayers because the Holy Spirit will intercede on us. He is the one that is pleading our case to the Father. So he is there. But here's the thing that we find out. When the Holy Spirit comes... Where does he reside? Where? Within us, right? And here's the interesting thing. And I just want to tell you, I have about I had about four points for this sermon, but you're only going to get one of them, okay? Because in the first service, I would have preached till now if I had. This is what the Spirit is there for, and this is the main one. He gives us power to fulfill our mission. If you're still there in John chapter 14, which you should be, you shouldn't have turned anywhere else, you're still there, go back a few verses. Verse 11. He says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. That's the unity of them all. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. He says, You've seen what I've done, right? Verse 12. It says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. All right, let's talk about that for a minute. 
Somebody tell me some things that Jesus did. He healed. What kind of sicknesses did he heal? Leprosy. Blindness. Death. Mute. Lame. Right? So that's pretty big stuff, right? What does it say in that verse? That those who believe in me, trust in me, they will do what I've been doing and do even greater. What else did Jesus do? Raise the dead. I hadn't done that lately. Anybody done that lately? I hadn't done that. What else? Walked on water. You know, I saw a study this week that some scientists tried to figure out if there would have been enough icy spots on the sea for Jesus to walk on top of the ice. Because he just couldn't believe that Jesus actually walked on water, but there's enough evidence that says he probably did. And so he tried to figure it out, and he figured out that if just the right conditions surfaced, there might be enough ice that Jesus could have walked like from lily pad to lily pad on the ice. And it happens, get this, for about two hours once every 150 years. Yeah, Jesus walked on water, right? Hadn't done that lately either. What else? Turn water into wine. What's that? Fed 5,000, right? I know some of you ladies in here can make a potluck dinner go a long way, but nobody has multiplied fish into 5,000 people, right? What about when he was in the boat and the storm was there? It said stop, right? And it just stopped. There have been a few days lately when I've wanted to look outside the window and go, rain, rain, go away. Come again another day, right? Anybody ever had that feeling in the last month or so? You know what? I've said it, and it hadn't made any difference whatsoever. Jesus said it, and what happened? The rain, rain went away, right? It stopped. Now think about this for a moment, all right? Jesus said, look at all the miracles I've done. They had a pretty good list. The truth is they knew more than we know because John tells us at the end of the book that he just wrote down enough stuff for us to believe. There's other stuff that we don't know about. He says, think about all the miracles. And because I'm going away and the Spirit's coming, you're going to do more and better. I just want you to grasp for a minute the fact that Jesus said that it's our job to do more and greater than he did. I don't know about you, but in my life, I've fallen short on that promise. And the truth is, if I actually think about it, it's hard for me to believe. But that scripture is just as true as every other scripture in the book. And what he tells us is that our job is to do the mission that he, conti- that he started. We're to continue it. Now let me just ask you. I want you to think about for a minute. What is your mission on this earth? What is my mission on this earth? What is our mission on this earth? Is it to make enough money to buy the groceries, to pay the bills, to get a good house, to keep the kids in, to make sure that everybody gets what we're supposed to get? Is it to wear the right shoes with the right shirt, with the right clothes, with the right stuff? Is it to come and sit on a Sunday morning in a pew and do what we're supposed to do in this place at this hour for this time, do our duty, go home, watch the Titans play this afternoon, get done with that, go to school tomorrow, go to work tomorrow, start another week, write on our blogs and our Twitters and our Facebooks about, oh, it's Monday again, and then we get to Wednesday and it's home day can't wait for friday we get to friday and we just do it all over again is that our mission on this earth no 
But isn't that what we're doing? I mean, just to be honest, isn't that what we're doing? What's our mission on this earth? To go. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I don't know how that fully plays out in your life. I don't know how that fully plays out in your heart. But I know this. That's your mission. And I know this. That you will never come close to accomplishing your mission unless you plug in to the power that is available in the person of the Holy Spirit that is living within us all. And what I'm afraid is, in America especially, we have become so comfortable that we don't have need of anything, especially this idea that God Himself, His power is within us. And the scariest thing is that we all will walk out of here this week and we'll go back to our jobs and we'll go back to our schools and we won't look much different than the people that are sitting right next to us that are destined to spend eternity away from our God. We'll talk the same, look the same, wear the same, listen to the same, think about the same, because we haven't plugged in to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. I don't mean that in some ways we're different. Maybe they don't spend three hours at a place they call church. But I mean where our lives are different. The most convicting phrase in the book of Acts to me is the phrase that just basically says that the world around them saw them and that they were so different they were drawn unto them. Part of the reason American churches are having trouble having people join them or come or investigate is because people out there say there's nothing different happening there than is happening in my life. And the truth is, in a lot of cases, they're right. I told you this is a journey that I'm on. I'm not arrived. I'm not there. But I can tell you this. God just continues to stir up within me. The phrase I use is a holy dissatisfaction with just being normal. A normal Christian, a normal preacher, a normal pastor, a normal church member, in a normal church, in a normal town, in normal Bible Belt, USA, Goodlettsville, Tennessee. He's stirring up within me something to be different. I have no idea how that's going to play out, and I don't think he wants me to know. Because to be brutally honest, if I follow the path that God has called me to five years from now, if we as a church follow the path God has called us to five years from now, we'll look back and say, there is no way in the world I would have ever said yes if I'd have known now what was going on. But I can tell you this. I'm ready for the ride. I'm ready to say, I want to do more and greater because of the Holy Spirit of God 